You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Well, hey, welcome this morning. I'm glad you're with us. I'm excited to share a word with you today. Uh, It's been interesting in this quarantine. I've been spending a lot of time with my kids, uh, which is cool, uh, but also my kids are wild. Um, Adults, we have a time that we take to wake up. My my kid, especially one of them, which I will not name in case in years later they watch this, they're going to get a complex or something. But one of my kids who will rename nameless uh, gets up and is just like ready to go. Very first thing he or she says is, Lola, Lola. He's like looking. Oh, I just ruined it. He's looking for my for my dog, runs outside, grabs the hose, is trying to like spray things, but it's at the end of its rope, so he's just pulling on the side of the house, right? Um, kids just wake up wild. I don't know if you have kids that wake up and they snuggle with you and they watch TV. I don't. God bless you. May he continue to bless you, and you can just, we'll trade. Uh, one of these days, but um, I love my kids. I I love watching them grow up. I love watching them learn, Uh, and and I've really realized uh, each day how much they absorb from me as their dad. I don't know if it's just because I'm home more because I'm working from home, but I feel like they absorb so much. They're like a sponge. I just wish they would sponge up all the good stuff and not sponge up all the bad stuff. Here's what I mean. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. Kids have this amazing ability to just lock in on your worst moments. Like a kid will sponge up every word you do not want them to hear and will somehow miss every word. that, Like they can't learn thank you, but they can learn that word that you said in the car on the way to the store to the person next to you and gave them the single finger salute. Like they will learn all of that, but they won't learn please, right? They have this amazing ability. Some of you are like, no, my kids are angels. Like, I think y'all need to call your teacher, because if you call your kid's teacher, they're going to tell you the truth, that your kids are ratting on you at school. We, we called one time my, my daughter's teacher, and she was like, yeah, uh, Lucy tells us everything about you. And my first thought was, Ev- everything? <laughs> right? Like, e- everything about us, right? Uh, your, your kids, I guarantee you, your kids are painting a vivid picture of your life at their school, right? They are relaying every detail. And because kids not only mirror what they see, but they do what they see. And I think that's a lot of human nature is that, is that we do the things that we see. And so uh, we do the things that we've seen done before, which means all of our kids are going to do the things that we hand down to them. Right, we've been talking about hope and healing in this series and, and believing in hope and healing. And we've talked about childhood and adoption. We've talked about fatherhood. And now I want to talk to you about something really specific because I think as I began to step back and observe how much my kids were taking what I've handed down to them, it really was a sobering reminder that my kids are going to use in their life the things I hand to them. Right, like, What my kids do in their life is likely going to be heavily influenced by the emotions they see modeled, by the words they hear, by the actions that they see. Let me explain. I got this toolbox. It's a bag, but it it is a toolbox. And I just want us to picture together uh, a, a toolbox here and maybe... I'm going to assemble a toolbox for my son. So if I were to assemble a toolbox for my son, i say, listen, son, I want you to build a house, so I'm going to put together a toolbox. So here's what I brought, and uh, this is my toolbox. Say, Henry, you're going to build a house, so I got you a drill, and it works, and you can, you know, drill nails or screws. See, we're already behind. 
Uh, I got a hammer to hammer in nails, big difference. Uh, I got this speed square, very important. I got a file, not that important. I got uh, some pliers. I got a wrench for him here. That's like really beefy. He can not only build a home, but defend it. Uh, I got some more screwdrivers, because you can't have too many of those, because you're always using screwdrivers. I have uh, a tape there for measuring, and I have a small one in case, you know, you really feel like mixing it up. Got a box knife. He won't get that till he's plenty old. Some zip ties. We'll just leave those in there. Those aren't important. And another screwdriver, because again, not, you know, you can't have too many. And I just want you to imagine that, let's say, I was like, okay, I, I got all this stuff that I'm going to give to my son uh, that he can begin to build a house. I feel like this is a good starting point. I know I'm not a contractor, but I've done a lot of remodeling. I know there's other things that he needs, but for the sake of the metaphor, stay with me. But let's just imagine I'm, I'm building him this box that he can work, so I'm like, great. I, I got the wrench in there, the pliers in there. I got the wrench. I got the screwdrivers. I'm going to put the speed square. I got all this stuff in there. Like, he's getting good to go. But you know what I think I need, I'm going to do today is something different is I'm going to I have this wrench. And sometimes this is what happens is we're assembling things for our kids in their future. We have these really important tools, but this happens. Let me put on my glasses on these fancy dad glasses and we do this sometimes to the tools that are precious to us in fact hold on let me let me just take this out now it doesn't quite work as good now it's really not going to work as good if i were to take this tool take my glasses off, and I were to put it back in the box now, I guarantee you by the dent that's in the side of this and the dent that's in the stage that this is not going to work very well. But I'm like, you know what, buddy? I'm doing the best I can. I'm going to throw that in there for you. Okay, maybe I'm not as dramatic as that because that was pretty dramatic. What if I just took this screwdriver and every day I went into the garage and I just filed off a little bit of the end of it? That wasn't very much, right? What if I did that for 20 years? Like, he never sees me do it, but for 20 years, I take this tool that I'm going to give to him, and I just file a little bit down each time. Okay. Maybe I don't do that. Maybe I don't even pay attention. Maybe instead, I just neglect my tools. I just leave them out in monsoon rain, and I let them get all rusty and all worn down and all used up and all beat up, and all of a sudden... You can't close it. You can't do anything with it. It's all rusted up. And I say, hey, man, here's the deal. Papa loves you. Here's your toolbox for life. And I hand him this toolbox. As a father, have I handed down something that is going to help him build his future? Pr probably not. What I've handed down to him is a busted old drill from some kind of violent action. What I busted down is something that I've slowly whittled away. What I've handed down is something that barely works because of neglect. What I've handed him down is a whole box of problems. See, it's not only just important what we give to our children, but the condition with which we give it to them. It's not just that they get a drill. They need a drill that works because if I hand this to you and say go build a house, you can't, you can't, even, can't, even, can't even click that thing over. That thing's locked in reverse. You're only going to be able to take a house down. 
What matters is the condition of what we give our children. Maybe, maybe I got this toolbox from my dad and it came with some broken pieces. I know that screwdriver I got from him and I think was, things have been dull since the day I got it. Maybe, maybe I got it from him and it came with some broken pieces. Maybe I broke it like I just did. No matter what, if I'm going to give this to my child, I have two options. And if I think there are any other, I'm just pretending. I have two options. I can ignore them or I can restore them. That's my two options. In your life, it is the same thing. You are going to hand down to your children, to the next generation, to the people around you. You are going to hand them tools for the future. And in your toolbox, I guarantee you, there are things that are broken, that are abused, that are neglected, that you are daily whittling away at, and you have a choice. Will I ignore them and hand them this sad box of broken tools, or... Will I restore them? This is important. Whatever is not healed is handed down. Especially if you're on a generational cycle of choices. Fathers, whatever you do not heal will be handed down. Some of you, you got handed anger. Some of you, you got handed bitterness. Some of you, you got handed lust. Some of you, you got handed unfaithfulness. But you got to make a choice. Am I going to ignore it and just keep on handing it down the line? Or am I going to restore it and bring life? Hear me today, no matter who you are, no matter where you are watching, and no matter where you are in your life, it is never too late to break the chains and to break the cycle. The Bible is full of people who handed down brokenness and broken things across generations, and you can watch the consequences of what happens when we do not restore but simply ignore the broken things. And what's interesting is as we look at that toolbox, the thing that is most commonly broken is purity. Why? Why purity of all the things? Because purity is so intimately linked to our heart. Purity is usually one of the most extreme forms of brokenness we hand down generation to generation because it has to do with both the heart and the hands, which means it's got deep roots. Purity is the key to intimacy with God. See, we, we should and we ought to desire to be holy as God is holy. But in order to do that, we have to cast off the chains of sin and shame and be perfected in his love. But what hangs us up is that purity is rooted in the heart and in the actions. See, the actions of the body show the allegiance of the heart. The condition of what we're handing, handing down to the next generation shows the condition of the heart that handed it. But church, I believe that a life of purity handed down is a powerful gift to the next generation because purity is powerful because it is in alignment with God. If we can restore purity, then we can hand down a blessing to each generation. I want to look at King David this morning. King David is uh, one of the greatest you know, figures in the Bible. You know, he's, he's, he's up there at the top. He's really an incredible man after God's own heart. And yet, 
uh, as we look at the lineage of David and the life of David, there's some really amazing and interesting things that he wrestled with, both in extreme highs and extreme lows. Uh, King David is who the lineage of Christ comes through, so very crucial uh, in, in the Bible, in history, in our lives. But he also had an amazing relationship with God, right? He wrote the Psalms. When, when you go to that middle section, if you've never opened a Bible, open up to that middle part that says Psalm, and it will blow your mind. He is poetic. He is powerful, uh, just so deeply in love with the Lord. But what's interesting about the life of David is that David made a choice with an impure heart that cost him dearly and cost his children dearly. Remember what I talked about? What he handed down to his children was affected by the impure decisions of his heart. So if you're with me this morning, go ahead and open your Bible if you have it. And if you don't have it, don't worry, because the Bible is available if you're streaming live with us in the tab that says Bible, or we'll have it available for you. But I want to read 2 Samuel 11, verse 1, starting there. David and Bathsheba. It says this, 2 Samuel 11. It says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. It says, It happened late one afternoon. So this is like the classic, what had happened was, late one afternoon, when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, which is normal to walk in the cool air, he says he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. So David, King David, all the powers of a king is walking on the roof. He sees a beautiful woman, and he knows that the penalty for adultery is death. I mean, he, he would know this. This would be abundantly clear in his life. He knows that the penalty for adultery is death. He knows the consequence, and yet he still does it. Here's what he does. Verse 3. Type amen if you're with me. It says, And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from uncleanliness, and she returned to her house. It says, And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So the act happens. She goes home when it's done, and then she shoots David a text and says, hey, we need to talk. And so David, knowing the penalty, in this moment you would think, man, after God's own heart, he would confess. Yeah, that's not how we work at all, right? Like David does not confess. He does not figure this out. He does not pay the penalty because that's not how we as humans think. If you're going to judge David in this moment, then you've got to judge yourself because this is how people think. And he doubles down on his actions. Here's what he does in, uh, in verse 6. It says, So David sent the word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. Totally normal. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house, wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house. But well, look at this. And there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah, being a good guy, says... 
the ark in Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Uriah is being so noble here, and he is not even remotely getting the hint. Like, had you have that friend where you're trying to, like, subtly encourage them, but you have to be abundantly honest, and you have to be, like, brutally, like, straightforward, I need you to do this? Yeah, he is not picking up on any of these things. Why? Because Uriah is actually noble, and, he, and, he, and he's standing with his troops who would have taken a choice uh, in that wartime of purity. And so he's saying, no, I'm not going to go down and sleep with my wife. And David is like, oh, okay, I, I got to do something. I got to figure this out. Brother is not getting the hint. So here's what he does, verse 12. He repents. No. Verse 12, it says, Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence, and he drank, so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. Follow this. So David has now committed, just if we're running up a little uh, sin scoreboard here, David has committed adultery, deceit, drunkenness, and so he's like, you know what, since I'm already out here, why don't I double down with just a healthy portion of murder? So here's what happens in 14. It says, in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the, he literally gives the guy his own death sentence to deliver. It says, in the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. And some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. So Uriah is dead. David takes Bathsheba as his wife and has a son. 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven. if you skip down to the end, it says this. When the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. It says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. There's a lot there that we could unpack because that's a big old scripture. <laughs> but what? I find so compelling as we examine what we're handing down to our children, to the next generation. What I find so compelling is how much this act affected the future of his children. Let me condense it and explain it for you here. He has a son with Bathsheba. He's confronted by Nathan, and as a direct consequence and judgment for his sin, that son dies. That's one life. Then we look at the family culture he hands down. He has a son named Amnon. Amnon rapes his daughter Tamar, but David doesn't bring judgment against Amnon. Why? Because David raped somebody too. If you think that him inviting Bathsheba into the palace and she was just going to be like, yeah, sorry, king, I just have a headache, that was not going to happen. This is straight up rape. And so David does not bring judgment against his son for raping somebody because as parents, one of the hardest things to do is to punish your kids for the things that you're doing. And so he doesn't punish him. So his son Absalom avenges the rape and kills the other son Amnon. But his father doesn't take a response against Absalom immediately. Think about that. Why? Because David's out here murdering people too. He's just like his dad. 
And so Absalom plots to overthrow David. He runs him out of the city. And then in probably one of the most profound and deep and disturbing and disgusting moments of the life, Absalom then has sex with all of David's wives and concubines. This is a whole other issue on top of the very roof where David stood lusting over Bathsheba that began this whole process. Are you with me? Do you understand that the condition of what we hand the next generation affects not only our life, but their life? for generations and generations to come. There is a long pattern of destruction here in the generations of David because of an impure heart and impure actions. Whatever is not healed is handed down. Impurity brings brokenness, hurt, pain, suffering, anger for generations, but purity brings freedom, power, purpose, clarity for generations. There is power in a pure heart because it means freedom for your life. Maybe you're thinking, I'm not out here murdering anybody. That's true. I, I think that our, our act is not so much um, the hammer to the drill. We are not that aggressive. It is much more uh, the file to the screwdriver just slowly whittling away. I think that there is a, a problem facing the church today. There are many things that might, you might have got handed down anger, bitterness. You might struggle with greed. You might struggle with all kinds of things. But the one thing that I see over and over again that is destroying purity and destroying generations is pornography. Pornography is destroying purity. It is destroying people. It is destroying intimacy with God. It is destroying futures. It is destroying eternities. You're like, ah, I don't know. That doesn't touch my life. I'm not sure if it's that big of a deal. Well, here, let me, let me just tell you. Over 40 million Americans are regular visitors to porn sites. The average visit lasts 6 minutes and 29 seconds. There are around 42 million porn websites, which totals around 370 million pages of porn. 47% of the families in the United States report that pornography is a problem in their home. Get this, 11, 11 is the average age that a child is first introduced to pornography. 94% of kids before the age of 14 will be exposed to pornography. Pornography increases the marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. Are you noticing the catastrophic problem yet attacking purity for generations? 56% of American divorces involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. 68% of church-going men and 50% of pastors view pornography on a regular basis. I'm not making these things up. 59% of pastors said that married men seek their help for porn use. I think that's a low number. I think it's higher than that. 33% of women aged 25 and under search for porn at least once a month. Only 13% of self-identified Christian women say they have never watched porn. 87% of Christian women have seen some kind of pornography. 55% of married men and 25% of married women Women say they watch porn at least once a month. This, this, this one's going to blow your mind. The porn industry's annual revenue is more than the NFL, the NBA, and the MLB combined. It is more than the combined revenues of ABC, CBS, 
and NBC. I was thinking about that, like, how are the, the statistics are, are so high for people viewing porn because when they're young and it's free and all this, I'm like, how is revenue so high when so much is free? And it's because porn is destroying your brain. Porn is literally rewiring your brain, destroying your soul, and enslaving your children. Doctors used to believe that addiction was solely based on substance that was introduced to the body. So uh, drugs or certain chemicals or cigarettes, things like that, that that, that was how it was uh, fuel, fueled addiction. It was the primary source. But we now know that it is not solely the substance, but the reaction it triggers in the mind and how it affects the reward center of the brain that affects addiction. Pornography is like sexual junk food. It is tapping into the pleasure center of your brain and rewiring it in a certain way. Let me read you. This is, this is from a study on pornography. I want to read you this quote. It says, when porn enters the brain, it triggers the reward center to start pumping out dopamine, which sets off a cascade of chemicals, including a protein called delta Fos B. I think that's how you say it. I tried my best. Delta Fos B's regular job is to build new nerve pathways to mentally connect what someone is doing, i.e. consuming porn, to the pleasure he or she feels. Those strong new memories outcompete other connections in the brain, making it easier and easier to return to porn. Follow me. If enough Delta Fos B builds up, it flips a genetic switch, causing lasting changes in the brain that leave the user more vulnerable to addiction. For teens, this risk is especially high because a teen's reward center in the brain responds two or four times more powerfully than an adult's brain, releasing higher levels of dopamine and produces more Delta Fos B. You're like, I'm still, still not sure if this is a problem. Okay, let's go to the next level. We can keep going, trust me. Here's where it gets wild. The brain then becomes dependent on the release of this dopamine. But the problem is it begins to build up a tolerance to it. And so the brain must then begin to be stimulated, stimulated by more, even, even more extreme pornographic material. Here's a study. In a survey of 1,500 young adult men, 56%, that is over half, over half, said their taste in porn had become increasingly extreme or deviant. Let me tell you, that means dangerous. That means dangerous people like me raising young women, that we should be concerned. Okay, I think it gets even more wild. They did an experiment. This is what's happening in our brain. I want to give it to you as an example. They did an experiment on rats, and they took the smell, the condensed stench of rotting dead rat. Sorry if you like rats. I don't know. And they took that smell and they sprayed it on female rats. And then they put male rats in the cage with the female rats. And guess what happened? They mated a lot. So they said, okay, apparently they're not bothered by the stench of this. We're going to take the male rats out. We're just going to put them in a cage with some, you know, like toys, things for them to play with. But what we're going to do is we're going to spray that same stench of rotting death, their own rotting death, we're going to spray it onto some of the toys. I'll give you three guesses which toys the rats played with. The ones that smelled like their own death. They rewired their brain to think that their own death was the source of the pleasure. That is pornography. 
Porn is death disguised as pleasure. It is the death of intimacy. It is the death of love. It is the death of relationship. It is the death of lives through sex trafficking. If you look at porn and somehow found a way to convince yourself that you are not contributing to the rape and the murder of young women around the world, then you are kidding yourself and you need to wake up. Because porn is death disguised as pleasure. It is the death of your own life disguised as a brief six-and-a-half-minute moment. And what's sad is that it's begun to rewire the brains of generations, and we're handing down just such deep brokenness that now we're at a point where we have a generation that thinks it's okay to cheat on your spouse because it's with somebody behind a screen. We think it's okay to cheat on somebody because it's not a physical action, and we're wrong. We think it's okay that sexual intimacy has been destroyed. You know, before great, uh, before big streaming and websites started in the early 2000s, male impotence was at 2%. Now it's at 35% in men between 18 and 40. If you don't know what that is, ask a friend uh, because it's important. It matters. This is a serious issue. We cannot roll on and hand it down to the next generation just hoping that nobody finds out so we don't get in trouble. Say, I'm not hurting anybody. That's a bold-faced lie. I could hand this toolbox to my son. He would not know for an instant that this drill was broken because it is not his responsibility to know those things. It is my responsibility to know that it is broken, and it is my responsibility to fix it because I am a man of God, and that is what he has put upon me in my life to lead in my family. If you don't have a family yet, start leading them now and pray that God brings you one. Pray that, that he brings you somebody, that you got the right box to hand down because it is important. We must fight for purity. We must fight for the generations because whatever is not healed is handed down. You're like, man, this message feels a little serious. Hit a thing with the drill. I thought it was going to be kind of funny from there out. <laughs> I think Jesus takes it a little more serious than I'm even taking it. Jesus says this, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You look at porn, you cheat on your wife. That's how it works. If your right eye, you're like, oh, okay, Jesus, Jesus is about to get wild. Stay with me here. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. You're like, wow, Jesus, that's really serious. It's like, yeah, because Jesus actually really seriously cares about you and what you do. He does not want you to spend an eternity separated from him for a finite and honestly sad amount of time on the Internet. He cares about what you hand down. Let me give you a translation. If your phone causes you to sin, you take that thing and you wing that thing out into the desert. It is better to not be reachable by phone than to be in hell alone. That's how it works. It is better to remove those things because Jesus cares about your purity because pure hearts pursue Christ. Pure hearts have relationship with Christ. Pure hearts have intimacy with Christ. Pure hearts have eternity with Christ. It matters what we do. Now, we have received the free gift of salvation, but holiness matters. 
purity matters. And it matters not only to us, it matters to the generations that we're going to hand it down to. If you're like, Pastor, porn isn't my thing. I still think you should be worried based off those stats, but it's great. But something is. You got handed something or you broke something in your life. For you, uh, it might be anger. It might be unfaithfulness. It might be laziness. Sloth. Greed. I, I don't know what it is. But here's the reality. You got a toolbox, and inside this toolbox, because we're imperfect people, there are broken things, and Christ knows that. There is no condemnation in Christ, but he's come that there might be hope and healing and restoration. And so you have a choice for those broken things. Will you ignore them or will you restore them? So whatever it is for you today, I want to give you how do we receive hope for our future and what we hand down, and how do we see, receive healing for our past and the things that have been broken? What do we need to do? To have pure hearts. Three things. First, we need to release the chains. Hear me. We need to release the chains. My daughter um, was walking our dog one day, and our dog loves other dogs, and my daughter is small. So uh, my dog decided that the other dog was a better thing to listen to than my daughter. But my daughter's holding onto the leash, and, you know, I'm kind of back here, and I'm staring at her, and I'm like, or I'm like hey, Lucy, uh, just wait, wait there. But, you know, she's five, so she just, you know, keeps going. And the dog sees the other dog and begins to take off. And in that moment, it's just like running out she's like going as fast in that moment where like their toes are so far back they're like lifting up with every half kick and it's so far out and I'm literally there in the back like yelling her just let go just let let it go and she's running with the leash like literally at any moment she could just let it go and it would be gone and the dog would go I, I care if she lives or dies I mean I love the dog but this is my kid Right, And I feel like Jesus is crying out to some of you today, I already defeated it, stop holding on to it. Like, like, a, like a child, he's like, just let it go. Let it go, let it go on. See, sin birthed death. I'm going to take you back to the garden. In the Garden of Eden in Genesis, everything was perfect. But sin ruined it. And we who sin ruined it as mankind. So there was a separation between Sinful man and a perfect God. But Jesus came to restore that relationship. He took upon himself the wrath that was meant for us and brought us life and the free gift of mercy and salvation. Romans 4.25 said he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Jesus defeated death. He rose to life and he invited us into that resurrection. And so what's amazing is it's through Christ and his resurrection that our sins have been forgiven and that the victory, hear me, has already been won. It's already done. The victory for your soul in salvation has already been fought. It was fought in the grave. Spoiler alert, Jesus won. He was victorious. 1 Corinthians 15, 56 says, The sting of death is sin and the power of sin the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, when you surrender yourself to God, when you bring him all your brokenness, 
You die to your old self and you're born again in Christ in a new life. Scripture says the old has gone and the new has come. And so you have the victory of the resurrection. See, fixing, restoring, renewing these things is not about willpower. It is about supernatural power. God has already broken the chains through Jesus Christ and the hold of sin and shame, but you have to choose to release them. I always like to picture kind of like a jail, and I want to imagine it. Maybe, maybe in your room, if you want to close your eyes, you can do this, uh, but picture that you're sitting at a, at a table, and you're just eating your lunch, and it's prison, so you got to go prison style with your arms around it, head on a swivel. In comes this guy, nice-looking cloak, dope-looking beard, clean-looking hair. You realize that's Jesus. And he comes in and he sits down with you at the table. And here you are hunched over your food, doing your thing. And Jesus looks at you and he says, hey, all the doors are open. All the guards are gone. I've already opened the cell. I've already opened the jail. You can go at any time. Why do you keep coming back here? You're like, well, I'm in prison. He's like, you don't need to be in prison. Because I've already opened the prison. I've already opened the doors. Come with me. Let's leave. And we say, well, that's too easy. That's just how good our God is. That at any moment he can walk us out of the prison that we continue to live in. See, today you need to take the hand of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within you when you receive him, you need to walk out of the prison that you have been living in, maybe for generations. Maybe someone gave you some brokenness and you thought, well, I guess I'm just going to have to give this because this is what my family's last name does. That's not true. There is no website, there is no link, there is no image, there is no heritage, there is no addiction that is stronger than the Holy Spirit. Let it go. Release it. Release the chains. Give Jesus the addiction. Give Jesus all the brokenness. Allow him to repair and restore the things that have been handed down from generations. Take those things out and just release them. Remove them. Get rid of them. Okay, so once it's empty, what do we do? I can't just not have a drill because I kind of need that to build. And I really don't want to go back to that drill thinking that that's going to solve the problems in my life when I'm building my life. So what do I need to do? Second thing is that we need the right tools. I remember working on my house, and uh, I went out, and I always borrowed my dad's tools when I lived with him, but I went out and I bought some new tools, and I really went for it. My wife loved that we were making that expense, um, <laughs> but I bought some tools, got this drill, got another drill. I didn't bring everything uh, because, you know, I just didn't want to show how cool all my tools were, um, but got this cool saw, recently got that, just to get wild, um, but it's important, see, I, I can't build with an empty box. I gotta fill it with things. I gotta put things in it. I gotta be ready. If I'm gonna hand it down, I can't hand something empty. I gotta hand something that is full. I gotta hand something that is usable. I gotta get the right tools. It's not enough to just give an empty box. I gotta fill it up. First Peter five eight says, "Be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour." Just imagine for a second, imagine walking out of your house and they saying, listen, there is a lion in your neighborhood. How would you dress? I'm going to guess full coat of armor, maybe like your AR-15 and then like a hammer, like a katana sword, something cool, I don't know, whatever you got in your house, maybe a spatula, you're probably going to die, but you know, whatever it is, that's your choice. 
How would you dress? So, okay, so if the enemy is a roaring lion, if the enemy is a devouring lion, how are you dressing for your life? What are you putting in the toolbox? What are you wearing out? Ephesians 6, 11 says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. See, the devil is vicious. It's not enough to just say, I'm not going to use that tool. I'm not going to look at porn. I'm not going to do these things. How many of you tried that one? Like, I'm just just not going to do it. It's not enough to just empty the box. It matters the condition of the things that are in it. We need to build up and to fill the box and to build the box with the right tools. We need spiritual disciplines. We need time with the Lord. We need pursuit of him. Spiritual disciplines and practices that reflect Jesus Christ, who he is and what he taught, are the answer to building and handing down purity and freedom to the next generation. Truth, righteousness, peace through the gospel, salvation, spirit, word of God, all these are part of the armor of God. Prayer and reading the word, those are big ones. I'm going to pursue God with everything. I think of it this way. If I was going to run a marathon today, I would have to take some choices out of my life and put some choices into my life. Choices I would have to take out of my life is late night burritos. Choices I would have to put into my life to run a marathon is run. You know, all of those things would be important to understand. The same thing is true spiritually. It is time for you to become deeply in pursuit of God. It is time to learn and to grow, to get the right tools, to build up that box so that someday, whether it's now or later, you have something to hand down. In your life already, you got tools. You got rhythms of life. You got habits. Some of those are bad habits. You got attitudes. Some of those are bad attitudes. But we got to get the right ones in. Let me encourage you, especially you fathers watching ruthlessly remove what leads to death and passionately pursue what leads to life. Don't even give it an inch if it leads to death. Ruthlessly remove what leads to death and passionately pursue what leads to life. Get in the word. Take steps to move closer to God. It is time to fill the box to get the right tools. Third and final thing, not only Do we need to release the chains? Not only do we need to get the right tools, but we need brotherhood and sisterhood. You weren't meant to walk the journey of life alone. I think pornography, especially as we're talking about that, is an interesting thing because a lot of that is done alone at night or sometime, and there's this separation that's occurring. There's this isolation that's occurring. It specifically flies in the face of the community that we were supposed to live in, the accountability and unity we're supposed to live in. Christianity is not a solo journey. In fact, Jesus Christ, who was perfect, probably the only guy that could have done it solo, gone his own route, chose to live with a dozen people. Right? He chose not to be a Christian island. Of Ephesians 5.13, it says this, But everything exposed to the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That's why it said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And he says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. 
Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 21 says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The early church rejected the ways of the world and embraced one another as brothers and sisters. No one is meant to be an island. No one is meant to be alone. We were meant to have brothers and sisters that held us accountable. If you are truly serious about freedom, you will be serious about accountability. If you truly want to restore the things that have been broken for the next generation, then you will be someone who is about accountability. That's why I want to share something with you, Banner Church. We are in this together. Specifically, when it comes to what I was sharing today, we're in this together. So here's what we've done and we've done for you as a church. Is that we partner with an organization called Covenant Eyes. And Covenant Eyes is an organization about account, accountability. And so they set up an accountability software on your computer or on your phone that, that monitors it. And then it sends a report to an accountability partner for, for the sake of this community that they're setting up for. It would be Katie and myself as an accountability person. If you want to choose someone else, you can talk to us about that. But it provides resources in the journey. It provides accountability, provides all these things. It provides teaching about your kids, uh, about pornography and, you know, like not literally about it, but how to manage and navigate a world full of it. But most importantly, it is a tool to break the habits that hold you to pornography, to release the death grip that you have on the chains that you've already been released from. And so we uh, partnered with this organization to get a discount for Banner Church to provide you with the service. So we're going to provide a link in the description and in the comments that you can click on. And so you click on that link, and you go to the website, and you sign into our Banner Church Accountability Community. And when you do that, you get a discount through us. It's $14 a month. Some people say, well, how come it's not free? Because it's worth it, and you need to pay for it. If for some reason you can't pay for it, you can come hang out with me, and I, and I will show you, and we'll figure out a way. $14 a month. That's cheaper than Netflix. You've got to ask yourself a question today. Am I willing to know every line of the office but lose my marriage? Or am I willing to lose my Netflix and save my future? You're like, that's, that's a ridiculous hypothetical. Not statistically. If you are struggling with pornography today and you have made no actionable steps for accountability, then you are merely playing Russian roulette with the lives of your family. And I hope you're really lucky. Because the numbers are not on your side. But we have provided this opportunity for you. It doesn't pay us, it's through them. And so it's an investment in your family's future. So you'll see that link available. And I want to encourage you, click that link, sign up today. Not later today, not tomorrow, but today, right now. Men, if you see this and you're with your wife and she's like, is he going to click that? Are you going to click that? Just click it. You're not going to go wrong with more accountability. But we provide that link so you can go on. It's going to ask you to sign up. And when you sign up, you can put in an email for accountability. So if you're a man, and we'll give all this information, but if you're a man, you, you'd put as your accountability person, men at banner.church. That goes to me. If you're a woman, you'd put women at banner.church. That would go to my wife. And so we're going to do one more thing. 
Because my biggest fear is that you're going to see this and feel this feeling of shame that if I do this, that someone's going to judge me. So let me just make it easy for you. I'm going to do it, and my wife's going to do it. Now, that's because I love accountability, so I think the more the merrier, because I have nothing to hide. But listen, if you're like, oh, I might be ashamed. Listen, if you're on my staff, listen, if you're on the worship team, listen, if you're a missionary watching, I, I don't care who you are, get on and get healthy so you can hand down something good. It's time to break the lies of shame. Click that thing, and we'll just all do it together. Now, no one else is viewing your stuff. It's purely your accountability person, but today is the day to break the chains. I just want to say, I, I don't want pornography to rob the eternity of the next generation. And I believe that today could be the first day of the testimony when God broke something off of your life. That could be today. Today could be the day that you're looking back in a year. I worked with a young man who the longest he had gone was two weeks. That was like his record. And he's now gone a year. Today could be the first day that testifies to the hope and healing of Jesus Christ for the rest of your life. So don't wait till tomorrow because today will be gone. But I want to encourage you, click that link. I want to end, other than incredibly practically with that link, I want to end by praying for you because I believe that through the power of prayer that God wants to do two things. One, if you've never received salvation, and you want to say today, Jesus, I say yes to you. I'm tired of walking in the brokenness. I need hope and healing. I need hope for my future. I need healing from my past. Then today, I want you to pray and receive through him. If you're with me today, wherever you are online, I just want to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. And if you want to make that decision to say yes to Jesus, it's one of many yeses you'll say, but this first one is very important. If you want to say, yes, Jesus, I choose to follow you with my life, there's a link available you can click or you can email. I said yes, but I want to pray for you this morning. Let's pray together. And I just want to invite you, wherever you are, just repeat after me. Everyone, in, repeat in your living room, your kitchen, walking on the street, and pray, dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I admit that I am a sinner. And I repent of all my sin. I receive your love for me. And the salvation that came through your resurrection. I lay my heart at your feet. And I receive new life. In Jesus' name, amen. One more thing before we go. I want to pray for you. If you're saying, God, I need you to break the chains. God, I need you to, to, to begin to restore things in my life so that I can hand down something greater. Maybe you feel like, man, it's too far. My kids are grown. It's never too late. It's never too late for restoration through Jesus Christ. I want to pray for you. So if that's you and you're praying, I, I want restoration, I invite you to either click live prayer or comment, and we want to pray with you. But I want to pray over you right now, wherever you are, that God will begin to release those chains in your life. Let's pray together this morning. God, I lift up every person watching. God, in every place they might be, in every background they might come from. And God, we see the overwhelming weight and schemes of the enemy that have come against this generation to try to destroy it, to try to destroy their future, to try to break purity over this generation and try to, that has tried to just whack down and crush down and beat down everything that tries to grow up and instead let weeds grow up and choke out the things that are trying to live, God. But we pray right now in the name of Jesus that there would be such a great release from the bondage 
and the brokenness that has been handed down for generations. God, I pray just like when you released your people back to Israel to restore the cities that have been devastated for generations, I pray right now that you would begin to restore lives that have been devastated for generations. I pray over you wherever you are. I pray that God right now in this moment by the power of the Holy Spirit would meet you in your room and that you would be renewed and restored, that those chains that you have felt have so identified you would not just break off, but that they would be dissolved. I pray that the power of the most high God through the Holy Spirit would just overwhelm you in such a sense that addiction would fall away, that the pull of your heart, that the wiring of your brain would be wired back to the way it was meant to be in unity and community with God, that there would be a restoration in your entire being, mind, heart, body, soul, by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray in this moment that every chain would be released, and as you do, that it wouldn't be a sense of emptiness, but it would begin to be filling as you pursue God, more of him, more of his love, more of the fruit of the Spirit. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, and I pray right now for every person struggling with pornography, I pray as they pursue the Holy Spirit, they would receive the fullness of the gifts and the fruit, and that there would be such a fruit of self-control by the power of the Holy Spirit that it would be broken, that in this generation we would break the hold of pornography over every person, young or old in the name of Jesus. And God, I pray today that those people that need to make that step to get accountability, that they would let no excuse block their path to freedom and liberty of their soul for now and eternity, God. I pray that today that they would not be devoured by the lion, the enemy, Satan, but they would step into the truth of Jesus Christ, receive accountability, and they would break the bondage and the habits of pornography and addiction in their life. God, I pray if there's anything, other addictions in their life, if there's any other strongholds in their life, I pray you would break them right now and that they would, in this time of accountability, see a season of fruit. God, I pray a great testimony upon your church and a great testimony in the name of Jesus for every person who makes that step, that there would be such a sense of life that we would see purity and the freedom of purity passed down from generation to generation. We praise you, God. We thank you, God. God, as we worship you in these next few moments, God, as we give you the praise, God, as we give you the glory, I pray you would take off us the weight and the heaviness of brokenness, and you would give us the peace and the freedom that comes through you. Jesus' holy name. Amen. I want to invite you, don't click away in this moment, but instead to press in in this moment. We say don't shut down, press in. And I want to encourage you to press in, to worship that declares the holiness of God.